We are going through the book of Romans. If this is your first time here, once a year, sometimes twice, we go through a book of the Bible. And so this year we have picked um, the book of Romans. And I, I've waited like, what are we, we're on year six as a church. I've, I've, I've been pretty intimidated by the book of Romans. It, it is a pretty incredible, it's a letter uh, that was written to the church that was in Rome in around 60 AD. And it's such a powerful letter that um, up until just about a decade ago, if you went to Harvard Law School, you were required to study that letter in order to get your law degree because it, 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 the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter builds such a convincing argument around the good news of the gospel. And so even Harvard, you know, Harvard Law has gleaned from that letter. Uh, they've kind of got off path lately, but anyways, pray for them. Uh, so, but but uh, up until about a decade ago, that uh, just shows you the, the absolute, the, the beauty of this letter. It's one of the only books I believe, you know, the Bible's powerful. There's a lot of good books. But the thing about the Bible is when we read the Bible, it reads us. And getting ready for this, this series and reading the, the letter of Romans and just getting into it, I've found things in my life that it's, 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 it's speaking to me. I'm, I'm seeing myself in the letter. I'm seeing myself in, in some of the struggles that today we're going to read about that Paul had, who wrote the letter, who wrote a third of the New Testament, who was pretty transparent about some of the things in his life that he, that he struggled with. And so we're, we're going to pick up where we left off in Romans 5, but just to, to kind of give us a little bit of, of, you know, where we are, the first five chapters of Romans, Paul is talking to the world. He's talking to the, everybody that was alive at the time. You know, so right now that's around 7, 8 billion people. And he, so the first five chapters, he's writing to the, a global audience. And he talks about how the, you know, even if you aren't a Christian or, or you aren't a Jew, you have a conscience. You know, that, that, there's, that every person is born with this sense of morality, whether they go to church or not. That it was revealed in what was created. And so he, he's talking to the whole world. And then here in Romans 5, he begins to scope it and narrow it, narrow it down to the church. And so he's talking to Christians now. Specifically about this, this struggle in the church term for it, um, we've talked about this the last several weeks, is, is justification, right? That there's, there's, you know, those that are in Christ are, are we're no longer condemned, that we've been, we've been set free. We've, our, our penalty that we should have paid, right? And when, when the judge looked at our life and said that we were guilty and we've made some mistakes, and everybody in here has, rather than having to pay the penalty or the wages of sin... We have been forgiven by Jesus. And the, the theological term is justification, that he took the wrath of God on the cross once and for all, for all of humanity. If there's other life on another planet, he died for them too. All right, like, like, like in the cosmos, God so loved the cosmos, the world, the whole world. And so we know that. So we are justified. We have been forgiven. We got a brand new, brand new shot at life. Bible says his mercies are new every day. It's a beautiful thing and it's worth getting happy about, especially if you've got a big rap sheet like me. So, but the struggle, I mean, I understand that and I believe that. But there's another theological term called sanctification. And that's where Paul is returning the page now. 
He, I think he's convinced us all that we've been forgiven, that when Jesus says it is finished, when he said it is finished on the cross, he paid the sin debt in full. So I believe that, and I've given my heart to Jesus. I prayed the prayer. I signed the card. I'm coming to church. But what happens is we still struggle with things. Saints with sinners' problems. I know I'm forgiven. I know I've been set free. I've prayed that prayer of faith. I've, I've asked for forgiveness. So why am I still getting angry? I mean, I come to church, I know that I, I, you know, I, I know that I'm supposed to forgive and I know I'm supposed to let things go, but why do I still hold on to that grudge? Right? It's, it's, a, it's a struggle that, that we, you know, the idea of forgiveness and, and being forgiven is, is, it's a thing to celebrate, but walking into that reality is a whole different world. I'm about to... Told the only story I know. I, wor- I worked at Pepsi. <laughs> Y'all didn't know that. If, you must be brand new here if you didn't know that. That's all I got. There was this position that was posted that I wasn't qualified for. I didn't have the education to do it, but I went for it anyways. And, 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 my, and the boss, the, over, you know, the person that was going to make the hire, they basically had no other options. So, so they were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to give you a shot here, but you got 90 days to prove. And they took my work history as, as education. You got 90 days to prove that you can do this. And I'll never forget, like, like I, I, I knew I had the position. I got the pay. I had the company card, all the benefits in the office. I had the position, but every day I went to work, I struggled with the reality of actually performing in it. It's like, I, so, so I, I mean, they, they, you know, they, they met, they gave me the job, I had the title, I had the role, I understood it, I was receiving the benefits of it, but I wasn't quite ready to walk in it fully. I had to learn some things. I, I, I wasn't completely prepared for it. I, I understood I had the position, but there was still, I had to grow into it. And what Paul is writing about that we're about to read is that we, you know, when we are, when God said we are forgiven and we are set free and we are children of God, that's a position that we have that nobody can take from us. But that, that's instantaneous. That happens immediately. The struggle comes actually walking it out practically every day and dealing with the, some of the things that pop up in our lives. And, 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 and Paul explains it this way. He goes all the way back to the first story in the Bible in the book of Genesis, he talks about a guy named Adam in conversations with a snake. And this is, you know, and Adam and Eve, and I won't rehearse it all, but this is what he says, that he goes all the way back to the garden, Romans 5. This is where we left off, verse 12. He says, sin entered the world through one man, that was Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because everybody had sinned. Basically, what he's saying there is nobody had to teach you when you were a kid to get mad and hit back. Nobody had to teach you to, to, to disrespect your parents, right? It was just a gift. You just naturally just, you know, like, like I mean, I, was, I, was, I had some of the best your mama jokes you'd ever hear in your life. I mean, I, you know, like, like nobody taught me those things. I would just naturally, you know, if I seen something, I took it. I didn't care whose it was, right? As, as a kid, nobody teaches kids that. They just naturally have it. 
And what the book of Romans describes to us is that we started really high as human beings and we fell really low. And so we, we come out as these, you know, children that are perfect and, and, and just these little angels. And then as we grow up, <laughs> come on, let's be real, right? As we grow up, we, we begin to uh, test the boundaries. We begin to see what we can get away with. We, you know, nobody has to teach a child that. It's just built into them. It, the, the, the technical term is original sin. You know, the, you know, I was taught in high school evolution that it was the opposite, that we started low like monkeys and were evolving higher. I don't think so. And so Paul said that happened because a guy named Adam got out, you know, had, they had one thing they shouldn't do. It was eat of this tree and they ate of it. And he says, because of that, sin entered into the world. In the New Testament, so the... the you know, from, from whatever, the, the Gospels to Revelation, the word sin is used like 100 times. Of 100 times, 45 of those times, it's used in the, the book of Romans. Paul does like a deep dive into what, what is sin. And that's like a three-letter word now. It's almost like a cuss word. Sin, you know, like, like what, is it bad? Like, I don't even, you know, we don't even like using the term sometimes, sin. And, and, and basically what it means, is it's not a three, you know, it's not one of those bad three-letter words. It just simply means to miss the mark. I almost brought my, my bow and I thought about it. I, I didn't even have to run that one through my wife. I was like, that may not be a good idea to shoot, shoot the bow in the church. But uh, I shoot it off the side of my house. I'm surprised the, or my neighbors haven't called the cops yet. But it just means you missed the bullseye. That, you missed the mark. I was, I was shooting for the center, and, you know, I was high right, high left, or low left, low right. doesn't mean the world's over. doesn't mean that, that you've got to, you know, carry that around as an identity your whole life. It just means I tried something, and, and I can do better. I missed, I missed the mark. And the way that Paul describes it is he says, Romans 5, verse 19, this, this disobedience, through disobedience of one man, we were all made sinners. We were committed to that life, is what that means, to a life of sin. It controlled us. So also, through the obedience of one man, Jesus, many will be made righteous. And then he goes into this beautiful, just like, comparison between grace and sin. And he talks about how there's no way to out-sin grace. That where sin did abound, grace did abound. And, and, and that, you know, it basically means just get another error out and try again and try again. And, and, and the, the farther you miss, the farther from the mark we get, the greater God's grace is in our life to get us Get us back on the straight and narrow. And so he, he, he writes about this in, in detail and, and he goes on. And, and to me, this is why the book of Romans is, is a book of good news because it's not all, all about sin. He mentions it a lot, but he mentions how to overcome it. He, he mentioned, like he gives us, I believe, the tools to beat the things in our life that's trying to beat us. And I know that we're at church and you probably put on your Sunday best and you're smelling good and you brush your teeth and you combed your hair, and so you're looking real good. But if we were just me and you talking, we all have things in our life that's trying to beat us. There, there's, there's something in our life. There's, there's a temptation. There's something there. We know what it is most of the time. If we don't, we're going to talk about that. But there's things in our life that the Bible calls sin that's just trying to drag us down, and the end result of it is not good. 
And so as Christians, how do we combat that? Do we just act like we don't have it in our life? You know, or do we just act like, well, I'm a Christian now, so I don't struggle with that anymore. And that causes, I think, you know, a, a culture of just hypocrisy and we hide and we don't tell the truth, and we, we think church is a place where, where we put a mask up and try to act like everything's okay. And I'm so glad that Paul wrote about this. This is the dude that wrote a third of the New Testament. I mean, this is like, I mean, he's a patriarch of the faith. I mean, he, he, he got in, in, in vivid detail. Romans 6, he says, what should we say then? Shall we just keep sinning? So that grace will increase in our life? Like if, if grace covers sin, let's just go out and party all day and all night. Let's do it. Right, right on. That's what he's like, is that how we should live? He said, no, I don't know if we should do that. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were buried or baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. All right. So he compares this old life and the old me. He says, that person is gone. That person has, you know, we use that verse a lot when we're doing water baptism. I don't think that's what he's talking about there. I think he's talking about the reality of when, when you said yes, when you put your faith in Jesus, whenever that was, that there was this new person that was born within you. Jesus said that you know, if we want to get to heaven, there's only one way. We got to be born again. We got to be born again. And like, so there's this new person that is birthed inside of us. And that old, that old person is, he says, is, it's dead as we live into this new life. And so, you know, to me, that's a bit of an opportunity because if this old person is dead, why am I still struggling with it? My first, first, first job, I've talked about a lot of my jobs, but my very, very first job was, I was 11 or 12, and my dad, he used to survey. So he worked for the state, and he would, he would survey and, and um, survey out plots of land north of here, big plots of land. And a lot of the land had never, you know, never been uh, developed so this was untouched land that was really, I mean, you, you could barely walk through it. And so my job for my dad, he had the instruments. They had this little surveying tool on a tripod, and then they would have another like mirror at the end, and they would shoot these lines in order to survey out the land. Well, I got to cut the lines of the machete. So that, that was, uh, which I loved. I, I mean, I, so my job was to um, just to cut through these, these woods so that they could survey and, and, and plot out this land. Um, and so, so I did that every summer with, with my dad for, and, and I enjoyed it. But the thing about it is it was a little bit of a, like, you know, we seen a lot of snakes, seen a lot of animals. And um, there was another guy who was, who was, I was a kid and this was like his job. He, um, he was cutting through a line, cutting through, this was in Blackwater, right outside of Blackwater State Park, and he was, we were surveying this land, and he came across this rattlesnake, big, 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 big rattlesnake, and he chopped its head off, chopped its head off. Now, I'm not an advocate, so don't write me an email. I'm not saying to go and kill snakes, but he killed this snake. The only good snake's a dead snake. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so, <coughs> um, 
No, no, it's, uh, no, they're cursed. So we talked about that. But, but uh, I just am not a fan of snakes. Uh, and so he chopped this rattlesnake's head off. It, it was huge. Like if this snake would have bit me, I mean, he'd break your leg. Big, big snake. Big snake. Six hours later, after we finished the job, we you know, my dad had surveyed this piece of land out. We were through. He wanted to take the snake home. Well, he picks the head of the snake up and it bites him. Did you know that they can still live after they're dead? Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know that. There's a term, it's called post-mortem movements. Hours later, so we, we, his hand, by the time we got to the, to the ER, was twice the size of his other hand. And when Paul says that we've been buried with him in baptism, and he uses this, this analogy that that old person is dead, that old life is dead, we got to realize that that old life can still cause damage. That snake was completely dead, biologically dead. But he doesn't mean that he should have been picking up messing with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like he should have realized that there, there, there's still danger there. And, wh- and what Paul is, is telling the Christian here is like, I know you've been saved a long time. I know you've been in church your whole life, but there's an old nature to every person that's just looking for an opportunity. Just looking for a reason, just looking for, uh, you know, that like it, he, he calls it, he says that this, he uses warfare terms. That, the, that, that old, it's, it's, there's this war going on inside of them. It's incredible. Romans 7, this is what he says. When, when, when a Christian makes a mistake, because it happens. Did y'all know that? That Christians can make mistakes, that Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven and they're on a path to, to, to trying to be a better person, right? Right, doesn't mean that we're completely without fault. Christians make mistakes, I like what Abraham Lincoln says. He says, it's been my experience that folks who have no vices have very few virtues. And I think he's right. Paul says this about his own life. He says, when I make a mistake, when I miss the mark, it's no longer myself who does it, but it's sin living inside of me. So as a Christian, he's saying, he was a Christian here, that there were still things that he struggled with. When my, when my son Asa was really, really small, we, we, we still read to him every day, but we read like, you know, kids' books to him. And there's this book that's for like three-year-olds and four-year, three and four-year-olds called There's No Such Thing as a Dragon. And it's a quick little book, I mean, tiny little book. You can read it in five, 10 minutes. And there's a kid, little, little kid, Billy Baxby is his name. And he's in his room and he sees a dragon. And he runs downstairs and he tells his mom, mom, there's a dragon in my room. She says, there's no dragon, Billy. Get back upstairs, go to sleep. There's, there's no such thing as dragons. So he wakes up the next morning and the dragon's a little bigger. And he runs downstairs for breakfast. He says, mom, there's, there's a dragon in my room. She said, Billy, there's no such things as dragons. Go eat, eat your breakfast. Well, the dragon comes down the stairs and eats his breakfast. Mom's sitting in the kitchen, but mom doesn't believe there's dragons, so she doesn't see it. Dad's at work, so, he, he, so this dragon in this story, gets, it starts eating things in the house. And Billy is trying his, his hardest to convince mom that there's a dragon in the house, but mom doesn't believe in dragons. 
Finally, the, 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 this, the kid story, the dragon gets so big, its head sticking out the front door, its tail is sticking out the back door, and it, it pops up on its four legs and walks off with the house. <laughs> Dad comes back from work, he's driving home, he sees his house, just walking down the street, this dragon has completely taken over the house. Mom is in the front yard screaming to Billy, there's no such thing as a dragon. But once the house was gone, mom believed him. The story ends finally when mom was convinced in these dragons, when she could finally see it, the dragon got smaller. Now, what is Paul saying here when he says, when I mess up, it's sin within me? I think what he is doing is he's identifying the dragon in his own life. How do we beat the things that are trying to beat us? Number one, we got to identify the areas of our life where we're missing the mark. We got to be very aware of our struggles and our vices. We have to know. Because the thing about sin is it grows in the dark. And the longer it goes unaware, and the longer that you avoid it, and the longer that you convince yourself there's no such thing as dragons, the bigger it gets and the harder it is to get rid of. It's kind of like the IRS. You could tell you, you know, they're like a dragon, right? They hoard treasure. They come and take it from you. You don't pay your taxes. You can get away with that for one year, two years, three years. I mean, you can convince yourself that you're not supposed to pay them or they're not real. But guess what's going to happen? And when it comes to the Christian in our lives and beating the things that are trying to beat us, as, as we have to know what they are. We have to be able to name it and claim it. And sometimes the first step in getting better and defeating things in our life is just letting somebody know about it. And if you don't know about it, ask your spouse. No, I'm just kidding. Or ask a friend or ask somebody in your life that loves you. Hey, what are, the, what are some areas in my life where I need to grow? Where am I missing the mark? Because the, the very, very worst place to be is to just think, I've got everything beat in my life. I'm not struggling with anything anymore. I've been saved so long, I think I might write the 67th book of the Bible. I mean, I'm just perfect in all my ways, right? You know what I mean? Like, like, like when we get into that mindset, we are opening ourselves up. And we'll never get better when we live with that mindset. Paul said it like this, Romans 7, verse 23, I see another law at work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law because his sin is at work within me. The most dangerous sins in our life are the ones we don't recognize. Or the ones that we don't want, that we just will deny them. No, no, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. No, we just, we just throw it back. And it just, every time we do that, it begins, it begins to, to grow. First John says it like this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so we've got to know what those things are. I'm so glad that Paul was open with his struggle. Aren't you? I'm so glad that the, the, the one who wrote the book 
was open about struggling. He calls it a thorn in the flesh in, in another letter, that, that he had this thing in his life that he prayed three times for God to take, and he didn't take it. When, when I remember, I mean, distinctly, when I became a Christian, there were some things in my life I never struggled with again, never picked it back up, and I knew they were hurting me, and I couldn't get rid of it, and, and, and God just took it from me. But there were some other things that I have to engage in the battle with still, that I have to be aware of it. There's certain places that I know that I don't need to go. There's certain things that I, I know I don't need to do because I, I know me. And that's not making you less of a person. I think that's making you a, a better person. <laughs> you know, that's strengthening your character. It's, it's growing you as a human being, but it's also growing you in your walk with God. Second thing I want to read this. This is, I'm going to jump ahead to Romans 12, but Paul says, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity. I love it. So I think that one of the dangers as for Christians, and I think anyone, is that we become experts in our infirmity. We become experts in our weakness. And we just focus on that all the time. And, 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 and to the point where we can even use it as, a, like as an excuse. Well, you don't, you don't know my struggle. You don't know how long I've been facing this. Like, and and I'm, there, I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But what I love about Paul in the book of Romans is he, he glances at sin, but he's staring at the goodness of God. He, he mentions it, he glances at this struggle, but it doesn't become his whole identity, right? He, he doesn't wear it on his sleeve. He doesn't make that, like he, he doesn't find his identity in those areas of his life where he's, where he's struggling. He, he focuses more on the goodness of God. He focuses more on the power of God. The things in his life that he knows can, can beat the struggle that he's in. And I think, you know, what he's telling us to do is, is, is if we find ourselves as Christians struggling with something that we know is wrong, invest more energy, invest more time on, the, on, on focusing on God rather than fighting temptation. Because if we just focus on the temptation and focus on what's wrong in our life and, and come, become an expert in our, wherever we're struggling, sometimes it can just do, it's like digging a hole. And, and we just get deeper and deeper and deeper and we almost lose hope that it can ever get better. But Paul says, no, fix your attention on God. Focus on the goodness of God. Focus on the, the, the finished work. Focus on that, that, you know, you may have struggled with this for a long time, but things can and will get better. And it's not positive thinking. It's putting your faith in something that you know is solid. It, it's, it's removing yourself from the center of your life or trying to fight this thing on your own and saying, you know what? I, I don't know if I can do this in my own strength. I'm gonna submit to, the, to, to God in this area. And I know that he can. And I know that he will. And if you've had that happen in your life right now, you should just yeah, put your hands together. And, and, and that's where I think we're supposed to live every day is knowing that, that in, my, in my weakness, he is made strong. 
And nobody wants to struggle and nobody wants to admit that we've got things in our life that, that's trying to fight us and beat us, but it's in those battles where God's power is made real in our lives. It's, it's, not, it's not so much in the mountaintop experience. It's, not, it's, it's, it's down in the valley. It's down in the thick. It's in the struggle. It's, Paul describes it where he's like, the things that I wanna do, I can't do them. The things that I don't wanna do, those are the things that I do. So at the top of, of Romans seven, he just goes into this, this vivid detail of, of fighting this thing in his life that we don't know what it is, but he couldn't overcome it. He couldn't overcome it. And he ends with this, what a wretched man that I am, Romans 7, verse 24. It's like, who's going to rescue me from this body? This body that was buried with him in baptism. This old nature that I thought was gone. But every now and then there's this, it shows back up. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, in the struggle, in the fight, is where God is found. And a lot of times we, we want God to be a preventative God. Lord, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna get in the struggle. I don't wanna fight with this anymore. Please, just can you take the desire from me can you, can you take this, the, the weakness in my life out? But, but the, the, the God that I, I really believe that Paul is writing about is a rescuing God. He's a delivering God. Like he will let you get in the struggle and get in the fight and get overwhelmed. Why? So that we call on him. And I wish that I could sit up here and say that every, you know, that I've overcome every struggle in my life because I haven't, but I'm still in the fight. And I haven't walked away from the faith over it. And I've had bad days and I've had bad weeks. And even an army that, that wins is gonna have some battles that they lose. And I just wanna encourage you with this, that, you know, and again, this doesn't mean it's gotta be some crazy bad sin. It could be something that happened to you. You could have been sinned against and it's affecting your life. I think the last words that Paul gives us on this, this war and this struggle within is to invite God into the fight with me. That's the key, y'all. To not try to fight this stuff on your own, not try to, to work it out, and, and especially don't try to hide it and deny that it's there and, and, and you know, get closed and, 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 and concealed. No, the more that we bring things into the open, the more God can help us with it. The more that we confess our faults one to another, the more, that we, the more that we are transparent and open about where we are in this walk, the more that God's power can meet us in that place. Nothing gets better without truth in our life. And we gotta be open and honest and church should be a place where that happens. So back to the theme verse, we're gonna pray, Romans 1, verse 16. Paul, the whole rest of the book, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God that brings salvation. That word power, 
It, it, it can almost, you can substitute it with medicine. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the medicine of God that I need for healing from whatever it is that's going on inside of me and inside of you. It, it's, more, it's, it's, it's more than just a faith thing. It's more than, I mean, it's a holistic thing, mind, body, and soul. It's medicine for you and for me. So I want you to bow your head this morning. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what it is that we're facing in this life, we're not fighting it on our own, that you are sitting ready and willing to get into any fight with us that we might be facing. And it's the secret fights that are the worst. It's the ones that nobody knows about. Maybe the ones in our head with anxiety and discouragement and depression. It's the, it's the secret fights that, that maybe we haven't even let anyone know about. And Lord, in this moment, we invite you and ask you to get into the battle with us. Lord, we thank you that there's always hope. There's always a path forward. We thank you, Lord, that you are so faithful when we call out to you. If you're here this morning and, and you're praying for that medicine, there's something in your life that you're just praying for God to heal. And it could be a relationship. It could be soul hurt. It could be anything. I don't know. But I, I need that medicine this morning. I need God to heal some things in me. Just slip your hand up so I can pray for you. Just slip it up real quick. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you've seen every, something happens in our heart when we, when we signal heaven with our hand. Lord, you've seen every hand that went up. God, you've seen every hand that went up, every hand that wanted to go up. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit right now would just invade whatever's going on in their life. Lord, give them strength. Lord, connect them with the resources to get the healing that they need. If it's a person, if it's a doctor, if it's a counselor, if it's just a friend, Lord, we know healing comes through many different avenues. But ultimately, you are the healer. And so, Lord, every hand, every hand, every hand, God, I just pray that this moment, right now, today, they would leave with encouragement and strength, leave with hope that things will get better. Healing is a path. It is an option. They don't have to live with this their whole life, that God, and if they do, you'll be right there with them in the battle, but they're not alone. They're not alone. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.